Hi, I'm your host, Connor Byrne, and welcome to this episode of That's What I Call Marketing, the podcast where you will hear from the leading lights in the marketing world and listen to their unique stories. Today, I'm with Emer McCarthy, head of brand for Paddy Power. So yes, you're about to hear from someone who's responsible for those brilliant Paddy Power ads. Emer is a self-confessed advertising obsessive. She just adores it and is absolutely brilliant at it. Emer cut her marketing teeth in 02 before moving to Betfair and then Paddy Power. In today's episode, we talk about the things Emer feels are important for brand building, but also things that are important to her personally in the work that she does. We talk through some of the brilliant campaigns she has worked on, like the Rodri Giggs rewards work for Paddy Power, and also chat about the importance of investing in creating a really brilliant relationship with her agencies. Hi, Emer. Thanks for joining me on That's What I Call Marketing. I've obviously done, done a bit of an intro to you, but I'd love uh, you to let people listening know your path to becoming head of brand at Paddy Power. Now, we could probably spend an hour talking about that, but maybe the, the short five-minute version. I guess I've always loved advertising, even from a really, really young age. I've always loved it. Um, and when I went to college, in, um, we're going to start back in D.C., yeah. um, uh, that this, the, the piece on advertising was probably the only piece I ever really studied for um, or actually put any effort in for. So I knew it's, it was absolutely what I wanted to do. And I also knew that I wanted to be client side. But at the time, I guess I described that as somebody who just had one brand and they were like a stylist for that brand. And I love that idea. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I knew, I guess from early on that I wanted to be client side. I was blessed actually to meet really good people um, straight out of college. Jan Richards actually, um, who is, I think she's at the DAA at the moment, um, was a mentor of mine and she managed to get me into O2. She knew Paul Farrell at the time. Um, and it was a, Three month um, work experience after college, Was it? and yeah, and I I did a I did a summer in O two, and that turned into ten years. <laughs> um, so, did they know? Like, or did we just didn't leave? <laughs> I just never left. <laughs> Funnily enough, my my access card kept working, so I was like, "Heck it, I'll just keep going." Um, so yeah, never left. And um, whilst over those ten years, I guess I cut my teeth in retail marketing, which I think is a deadly discipline to cut your teeth in because um, you really need to be succinct and you learn how to get your message across in the minimum amount of words in a retail poster. Um, So I thought, you know, that was very, I was very lucky to be kind of um, grounded in that first. Yeah. Um, and, and everything that came with retail marketing, like the pain of point of sale and merchandising and, and, and still being able to do all of that and like the job, I, yeah. I think it's a very good sign. Um, but probably so, going back past the store and seeing all the stuff that you created. You know, I still see stuff. Um, somebody got, uh, I, I, I'm over and back in London, a good, to London a good bit with my current job. And um, I'd often go into an O2 store because I'm a geek like that. And I'd look around at the brand and, Funnily enough, I saw um, an iPhone user guide, a really old one on the desk. Yeah. Um, and it was one that we had between ourselves and, and the group head office had written. Really? And I took it. Yeah, I took it. Um, couldn't believe it was sitting there. It was kind of behind the till. But um, yeah, so that retail marketing was, a, I think, for me, a really good way, a really good discipline for me. 
but then um, the shiny lights up above the line um, were calling me and I actually fell into it by accident. Um, I remember one of the girls in there, Jennifer Kieran and Shorts with Diageo now, she was doing a, a brand campaign and she was supposed to fly out to Cape Town for the shoot, but she had a terrible fear of flying and I was all over that. <laughs> I will go Cape Town on my own for a week. Are you mad? Um, so uh, that that and then I got once that happened and I'd kind of been put into that. I completely fell in love with it. In yeah. love with it. I loved the creativity of it, the collaboration of it, working with creative people in in agencies, and it's the most creative discipline in the commercial world, I guess. And I just. Loved it. Everything, absolutely everything about it. And I was blessed to work with the O2 brand, which was and still is a beautiful brand and a beautifully built and sculpted brand. And I can only say that now. I didn't think it back then. I thought it was a bit airy and fluffy and a bit grown up and serious. But I look at it now and I go... That brand was gorgeous. I was so lucky to have worked on it. Um, And then after that, after O2, um, I went to Betfair. Um, which was a, a real challenge, different industry. Completely different. I love, yeah, completely different. Um, but I love football and I love sport in general. I'm very competitive. Not that you don't know that already, Connor. Um, but I'm very, I'm very competitive. I love football, so um, it always appealed to me. So when that job came up, I took that and did great work with Betfair brand actually. Really enjoyed that. And then um, we merged with Paddy Power and yeah, I just, I thought I'd never get hold of it. I thought I'd never get hold of the brand. I just adore this brand. It's my favorite yeah. brand I've ever worked on. I'm really proud to have worked on it. Um, and actually it's definitely, you know, any of the work that I've done over the last six years with that brand, it's only because of the work that, you know, the shoulders that Ken Robertson yeah. um used and and paddy himself who's you know um a brilliant marketeer um and people like paul mallon who um who really grew that brand i was just lucky to kind of hold the reins for a few years so yeah absolutely love the brand yeah brilliant brand to work on and it's wonderful like clearly just loving the brands that you're working on allows you probably do greater work and also the great lesson from cape town is start every script with we open on a beach (laughs) (laughs) we open on a beach um we pan up to a clear blue sky yeah exactly all of that um but yeah unfortunately with with betfair and paddy power all the shoots are based in in the uk so um but yeah no like working on the paddy power brand is just the business um and i'm so lucky to be involved with it it is a phenomenal brand and i think one of the things about the Paddy Power brand is it can do a lot. And, and as you say, it's because of the way it's probably been built. Yeah. It can go a lot of places that just other brands dare not. Like yeah. it, it has that. How is that? Um, I guess how's that built into the DNA of, mm. of the company? You know, is it just. It really to- is like it, it really is. And, and, you know, even from, you know, the recruitment process, you know, we're heavily involved in the branding of that and making sure that it feels like a Paddy experience and that you've met Paddy, you haven't just met someone from HR. So um, it is, it's definitely woven through the business, but also everyone in the business is, loves that brand. Yeah. They absolutely love it. And remember, Paddy Power now is, is, is a brand within a house of brands called Flutter. 
Um, so alongside it, you've got Betfair, you've got Fangio, you've got Skybet even, um, but everyone wants to work on Paddy um, for the crack um, yeah. and, and the ability to be mischievous and ballsy and daring and all those things. So, yeah, about uh, your question around does it run does it run through the DNA? Yes, it does. About six years, or about five years ago, we did a massive kind of strategic project on it because it was a lot of things to a lot of people, um, especially in the UK. So, you know, in Ireland, it's a legacy brand. It's, you know, it's the it's the dusty bookies beside your dad's local, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it is a trusted brand, even though it's a bookie, it's gas, like it's, there's a real um, tension there. But um, everyone kind of has a place in their heart for Paddy Power. We're, we're, we're that kind of mischievous jester. Um, whereas in the UK, we're, we don't have that legacy and actually we're mobile only. Well, we have, we have some shops, but we're predominantly online only. And, you know, we're, we're, we're more of a challenger brand to the legacy brands there, like William Hill and Ladbrokes. Yeah. Um, so you know, there's a, there was a lot of work to do with that brand in terms of being consistent in our approach. Um, and we nailed it down to, I'm not going to give you the secret sauce, Connor. Um, but if I could, I would say we nailed it down to, you know, four creative brand drivers that um, are kind of gospel to us. And, and one of them is um, the, the humor, the type of humor that we go for. Humor is really important to me. Um, I can't work with people who don't have a sense of it. Um, and nailing and articulating the Paddy Power humor is in a category that is quote unquote funny haha or you know the likes of the bet freds and the bet 365s and that they can be very slapstick um yeah. or lowest common denominator approach in their humor the paddy humor um is very difficult to articulate but um when i'm in the irish office uh, in the dublin office i'll say it's just an irish sense of humor and and by that i mean it comes with a load of intelligence a load of knowing um and a wink in the eye so it's about using what you know um being smart not smart as in you know off the cuff but but smart as being intelligent yeah. and so we're at our funniest in you know when we're leveraging our knowledge of football or our knowledge of racing and applying a gag to it. And that, if you think about it, about your funniest mate, let's say, you know, if we were talking to Paul Dervin now, he'd say something really funny, right? But it would come from a really intelligent place. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's what makes it funny. Um, and I think that's what makes us, our, that Paddy Powers type of humour, um, A, more difficult, um, but B, um, quite distinctive. So in the UK, we call it sharp wit. Um, and it's the best way we can kind of describe an Irish sense of humour in two words. Um, but it's really important that we crack that sharp wit um, in a way that is intelligent and not easy. Um, and the problem with that is um, it costs time and money. Um, if like funny brands um, or brands with a sense of humour are really hard, Connor. Like I sometimes think about the work we did in 02 and go god that was easy like that was prior tickets was a piece of piss like yeah. it was <laughs> it was you know, know. whereas with, with the with the paddy power brand you've got to crack a really brilliant idea that's sometimes um contra to what everyone's thinking um and it is an uncomfortable truth paddy loves an uncomfortable truth and adds a little bit of sharp wit to that and you've got a 
uh, a great paddy power campaign. Yeah. But that takes time and money. And you need very good creatives on your side. I was going to say the agency partner to that has to be just yeah. crucial. And because humor is so, it is very personal. Like everyone has a different type mm. of sense of humor. But when you're, you know, when a brand has a sense of humor, you have to articulate and then finding a partner Who that can get it. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're lucky. We um, have been working with VCCP for six years now. Um, the creatives there are great. They really get it. Um, but not initially, right? It yeah. takes it takes time. What I will say is Irish agencies and Irish copywriters obviously get it a lot quicker. Um, and, you know, we've in-house copywriters and the, the lads in our social team, for example, brilliant, brilliant um, writers who um, often help with our above-the-line work as well to keep it grounded, grounded in a very um, sharp-witted type of way. Approvals I want to ask you about because you talk about social. I always think about, like, speed and needing yeah. to react probably quite quickly. Mm. Um, how does that work, like, in terms of – because it's a regulated – space as well so how does that work in terms of how do you respond to something quickly in social but get it approved by a a legal team (laughs) i guess the approach is pre-approved um so the lads in our social team are absolutely brilliant and i i would say they are the best social team in the world um, they are amazing. Their reach um, and that they achieve for the brand, they're almost more the brand than the brand itself. Right. The lads in that team, I don't think the lads in the social team have bought a pint in Dublin in years. Um, they're so well known at, at this stage. So, um, and they're a great set of guys. So, but we have trust in them. They know the rules. The approach is pre-approved. Um, they know where they can't go and they know where the line is. Um, and in order for them to be first, look, if we're not first to the party, we're not going. Um, so in order for them to be first, um, they've got to just have license to do it. So the likes of Mark or Noel or whoever it is sitting there watching the match and um, tweeting from their phone or their laptop, um, they just do it. There is no approval process. They are empowered to bring the brand to life um, and they they get that trust from from us because they understand the brand so well and they know where the line is. Yeah, that's what and I guess, as you say, then that allows them to be first and gives them that kind of freedom to be creative, yeah. which is wonderful in a job like that, you know, because it's amazing you know, job. Yeah. Yeah. Those lads have the best crack. Yeah. Um, you've, you've touched on some of the things I th- that are probably beliefs for you and, um, mm. you know, consistency, distinctiveness, I guess without saying there may be two of some of them, when you think about some of the core beliefs that you have when it comes to building a brand, mm. what, what things pop to pop into your mind as being really, I guess, non-negotiable for you that you really need to see? I'm going to say the thing that I think everybody's saying and I'm so bored of at the moment, but distinctive assets um, is is non-negotiable for me. Um, And I've seen what it can do because a few years ago, the Paddy brand had become a little loose, let's say. Um, And we did an awful lot of work um, about four or five years ago in just um, putting some manners on it. Um, and we have, you know, three, we call it the hat, the Paddy hat trick. And we have three distinctive assets that have to go with our brand each time. And that is our penumbra font. Um, it is our sharp wit. Um, and it is green. 
Um, yeah. You'll notice the logo isn't even in there um, because really if you crack your distinctive assets in a way which they work, you shouldn't even have to brand it. Um, so things like our social um, our social film or anything like that, you know, yes, we'll, we'll obviously put a logo on, but once we have Penumbra font, um, the sharp wit and green, um, they are we are real distinctive assets. So that's the boring answer to that question. No, um, I don't think it's boring at all because I think it's so important. And I think back yeah. to some of the O2 work as well, where, mm. you know, the bubble had to come off the Listen. letter and we were just drives nuts. But yeah, you look Listen, back going, I, and, I used to, and that's what I mean by I didn't appreciate the yeah. O2 brand at the time. And I didn't appreciate how well that brand had been crafted and developed. Yeah. Um, I really didn't. I think that brand was so contemporary. It was ahead of its time. Um, and I still look at it now. I'm so like, I, I love it. Um, yeah. And when I'm in London, I always look at this, the stores and they're so true to that brand. Um, and I think VCCP should be commended for that, actually. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I remember, Connor, at one point, we weren't allowed to have people in our advertising. Um, so the distinctive assets, and they weren't called them at the time. No, right? they, they weren't, were called, yeah. They were just called guidelines. And But we were told it had to have blue gradient. It had to have the frugal frugal font, I think it's a frutiger. Right. Frutiger font, oh, Frutiger, yeah. um, and um, the logo, and it had to have a bubble somewhere, and I used to wreck my head. Just those <laughs> stupid bubbles, like, no. and the bubbles couldn't come off the logo. They had to come off something meaningful in the headline. Yeah, that's right. Um, do you remember? So yeah. the headline could read, read, you know, priority tickets, and the bubbles should come off off priority, yeah. um, which was gas, and it used to drive us mad. But now, in hindsight, I look back at that and go, actually. Um, that that brand is so consistent, so identifiable, so distinctive. I remember when the brand so when when Telefonica bought O2, it bought it, it bought it for 16 billion. And six billion of that was attributed to brand value alone. Yeah. Um and I remember thinking at the time, oh, that's what it's all about. Um, in that the equity that we had built in that brand, it was so consistent. It could and 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 I think the proof is in the pudding, right? It very easily stretched into music, it very credibly stretches into sport. Um, and it is, yeah, it's one of those brands that's more of a lifestyle brand that started in Telco, I feel. Yeah. Um, and so I think, yeah, I was very lucky to have earned my stripes on that brand. Um, and I didn't know it at the time, but in hindsight, I really was. Yeah, I, it is phenomenal. I I remember the the blue gradient, and you know, we'd send mm. stuff over to you, and you'd be like, "No, the gradient's not right." Because like, oh you and so you have like you have an incredible eye, <laughs> not just for detail, but you know, for just an eye for art. I think, um, and so you were just like, "No, it's not right, Connor." And I'm like, "Okay," and we used to get. Then we were worried, like it was just this is the screen, so we get it like professionally printed, sent over, and it's still not right, and you know, in a nice way. Um, I, I remember um, I was very lucky and, and blessed to be, be involved in the O2 music venue, and the the thought and design that went into the interiors of that. I remember um, giving the 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 guys, the construction lads, the, the Pantone reference for the seats 
and it's I still in my head it's PMS 2747 <laughs> um, and that those seats are still in there even though it's in the it's it's still the three um arena now but those seats are the same Pantone reference for the O2 Indigo Blue um and so I guess it was such a consistent um brand that so credibly could stretch in many ways and stretch not only into different industries but across um target markets so across demographics you know yeah. to yeah. to families to younger people to yeah like we would have called them prepay customers and postpay customers yeah. but yeah it was very credible brands that could stretch so yeah i was very lucky to have worked on 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 a, on a brand as well constructed as the l21 yeah, incredible. Um, outside of distinctive assets, any other kind of core beliefs that you you hold is really important? Less about the brand, actually, and more, I would say, about the role of um, the client. And I, I think, and I see it an awful lot, um, clients, you know, pass responsibility onto agencies all too easily. I see hopeless briefs going in um to agencies that haven't been thought through you know if someone says they've written a brief yesterday then it's not a brief (laughs) a good brief takes like two three weeks months to write um you're already thinking about the brief months in advance before you've even put pen to paper um like a good um client owner of a brand will know what the brand needs before you even need to write the brief you'll know where you know where it's falling down where we need to um elements of it that we need to drive upwards and i feel that all too often on the client side and um, that responsibility is passed over to the agencies all too easily so i'm very i'm a bit of a bitch in work around writing a proper brief um, and taking time to write it, talking to the right people, talking yeah. to the research team, the insight team, talking to the commercial team. What, what is it you need? What, what will success look like? These sound like really basic questions. I know that every brief should have, but they don't always have it. And I've seen really lazy briefs go in. And, and I think the best briefs are actually half the answer for the agency mm-hmm. um, in that, you know, it should be so well constructed that the, the answer should be easier um, to find so so yeah I'm, I'm very passionate about clients writing proper briefs um, and working with agencies and the last thing I'd say around a belief or you know a way of working for me um, and and I remember I was in 02 at the time and I was writing my objectives for the year and a man called Johnny Cattle. Um, I said, Johnny, I don't know what my um, objectives should be for this year, folks. And they have to be in by today, folks sake. And he came over to me and he went, Ewer, you have one objective this year. I said, okay, what is it? He said, you have to make sure that we're our agency's favorite client. And I wrote that down on my objectives. It's all I had. Um, ensure that our agency love us. Um, and we put in, and like that went for all our agencies. So we yeah. had pieces of key at a group level. We Brando, as you know. Um, but yeah, it was my job to make sure that I that we were the agency's favorite client, and that the agency looked forward to our briefs. Yeah. The agency were felt challenged by our briefs, felt more involved in our briefs than any others, and more involved in the. I guess, construction and, and decision-making within um, the creative process than anyone else. And 
that for me has stood to me and it's something I've always tried to do. So even with Paddy Power, and it's small things, right? But it's flying over regularly. It's meaning them. It's giving them um, results from the last few campaigns. It's letting them know what, how it went down internally. It's allowing them actually to help you write the brief along the way. Yeah. You know, you'll often know when a brief is coming six months before the brief is there. And you can start, you know, having really decent conversations, creative conversations with your agency, but be it the account manager, the creative guy. Um, and just, and I, be collaborative and be yeah. sound. And um, I always feel I get a better result when I have a really strong relationship with the agency and the agency feel a sense of ownership to the brand as well. Um, so yeah, that I, I, that's a really important to me and something when, uh, with, within my own team that I'll always stress and um, that we've got to be our agency's favorite client. And I want them, you know, dying to get our next brief because I do brilliant. think it gets better work. Yeah. yeah that, and I think there's definitely like, there's so much happens on a client side that an agency just doesn't know. And I think getting, letting them know that, because I remember when I was in agencies that we'd get a, you'd get a brief in and then you like, you know, the old school way you'd respond to it, but that, then it would go quiet for weeks. You'd be like, what's going on? And you just didn't know, but like, oh, you know, there's lots going on on the other side, you know, yeah. that it was being sold in or, or, or things changed, but it was just yeah. this gap of information. You're kind of all sitting there in an agency twiddling your thumbs and then it would come down and be like, and this wasn't O2, but like you'd get a, you know, a Thursday. Okay, that brief that we gave to you three weeks ago that we haven't told you, we need it now. We need to be, yeah. go live on Friday. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. like, you're yeah. not going to get anything good out of us that way. <laughs> and that it allows you to have difficult conversations as well, I think, when you've got that relationship. when It does. And, and I think to... when there's context behind things um, and you're not just told something, but you understand the reasoning behind it. Um, and you might have been aware that that was happening in the background anyway. I remember with... Um, with Jose Mourinho, when we worked with Jose Mourinho um, on the, with, O2, oh, with Paddy Power, um, that was a beautiful campaign, actually. It was one of those campaigns where all the stars aligned for us. We had a great product, a great proof point. Um, and another belief of mine, actually, is that the best ads come from great products. Um, but, uh, yeah, we had a great proof point, And we'd, you know, we were looking to, we had a fantastic idea. Um, and Jose Mourinho came from that idea. He didn't spawn the idea. The idea oh, came great. first. Interesting. Um, and Jose came from that idea. And I remember at the time, he was a lot of money, obviously. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, the because we were so close to PCCP, um, they helped us negotiate. They helped us not even get it over the line with Jose and his agent, but actually get it over the line internally um, because they understood the pressure we had to sign that check. Um, because we kept them in the loop. They were always in the conversation and they were as invested in getting Jose as, as I was. So, yeah, I mean, that they were VCCP for that, um, for that, for that campaign were, were really great. I think you need that with an agency as well. You need, I remember being away from on holidays and coming back to work when I was in an agency and it was like a, it was a client meeting and I kind of, walked in didn't know was ha- you know but I've been working really closely on it before I went away and then I saw the work and I was like oh oh no no we can't go live with this and everyone on the the agency side was kind of going what are you doing I was like, no and I clearly I was able to articulate better than that like the reasons why I felt this was a bad idea and we didn't yeah. and it went back and we 
you know, did a bit of an attitude and tried to fix some of the problems that I, and it was the, I'm not saying I was good. I just had a fresh eye perspective. Yeah. That's all it was. But of course, um, I th- <laughs> 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 well, I think having that relationship where even like the age, you're not even sure who's the agency, who's the client. Yes. And, and, and isn't that lovely when that happens? Yeah. I get really buzzed when that happens. And I, and I love it when exactly like what you just did there, when a creative will go, no, hang on, lads, that's just not good enough in front yeah. of me and in yeah. front of the client. Um, all sorts of confidence is won when you see something like that happen, I think. So, yeah. Uh, you've done some phenomenal advertising work in your career so far more to come um, and this is going to be a difficult question your favourite it is very hard and, I, I know, and, yeah. <laughs> and I've been blessed it's like picking my kids I, do, I was going to say um, your Jesus. favourite advertising I, child <laughs> I think um, look you know and it hasn't all been me obviously um, I, I fervently believe um, the best campaign, campaigns come from a group of great minds um, but, oh, like, I think a priority ticket's the O2 and that amazing Florence and Machine track. And If I had written bring, one down, it was that. <laughs> I bring, I, it brings tears to my eyes, actually, yeah. that ad. It's such a, a lovely time in my life. I was very happy. Um, I was very happy in work. I was very happy personally. It was just a lovely time in my life. Um, and I, then I think of Rodri Giggs, right, which, um, and as I was saying, I really feel the same with priority tickets, actually, when you've got a brilliant product, um, I feel it, it, you know, it comes, the best work comes from a great product proof point. Um, and with Rodri gigs, actually, you know, all we had, all we were briefed with was, um, look, Paddy has a new loyalty scheme. And, um, it was kind of, a, we sat around the room and we were writing that brief going, Jesus, if we were really true, like, loyalty like who who goes to starbucks because they're loyal you only go to starbucks for your free coffee it's bullshit (laughs) and actually that's how we how we wrote how we wrote the brief um we wrote the brief like that you know we already had a sense that you know we should call bullshit on loyalty um so we called bullshit on loyalty and it came back from the agency as obviously this is the words that came back as but didn't um make the final cut which was fuck loyalty live for rewards um and we jumped off the table at this and went this is fucking brilliant it's so true <laughs> you know um and then uh, then you know you apply loyalty to the world of football and there's a million places you can go to transfer windows saudis you know, like you know yeah. so many places you can go um but actually the rodri gigs one was just Amazing, amazing. How did that come about? Because that is amazing. And again, I'll go back, I said probably at the start, like only Paddy could have done that. So how did that come about? I'd love you to tell me that. Yeah, it came after um, a massive piece of strategic work we did um, around uh, the mischief that we wanted to do. Um, And what we realized was that we put actually every single ad we've ever done on the wall in our boardroom. um, And each of us rated the ads in terms of what they felt was proper paddy power and what fell short of the mark. Um, And one of the attributes that came out as a common denominator across the great ads was when Paddy talks um, about 
truths and actual cultural moments and being on the ball around topical topicality. So less creating fabricated advertising rules that say O2 would have done. Yeah, Paddy yeah. lives in the real world and actually Paddy's an anti-brand. And if, you know, Paddy was really being true to itself, it wouldn't advertise at all. Um, so the idea that um, we could you know, take a true real life story and put it on TV was very appealing to us because it felt very Paddy because Paddy is a very real world brand, a lo-fi real world brand that says it like it is. Um, And if we're going to go out and talk about loyalty, um, then my God, there's there's an amazing story out there um, about Ryan Giggs. So we approached Rodri, um, who was up for it, mad for it. And we wrote the most, well, PCCP wrote the most amazing script. I remember when when um, Kevin, the creative director there, read it. I, I, I get very emotional, Connor. <laughs> I get very emotional. And I remember when he read it, I left the meeting room and I had tears in my eyes. I just, and I had this awful, and my overriding fear was that it, you know, I wouldn't get it passed. We wouldn't get it past um, the Paris that be in Power Tower. And but no, everyone loved it, and um, it happened. And the best thing about that ad um, is actually the music uh, is uh, the Charlatans and the only one. And you listen to that track, and with that storyline and the brilliant line of "We do need milk." I'm going out for milk, like just and on all the Easter eggs in that ad. It, it set us up actually for um, what I'm actually going to say is my favorite campaign. I think. Um, so it's not even Rodri. It set us up for um, Paddy Power Games, Daily Jackpots and Don't Think You're Special. Yeah. And the reason being, I love that, is another example of a, of a product-led brief where we had a challenge to, and, and, and the, the gaming industry is just rife with norms, right? It's, you know, it's, it's noisy, it's colourful, it's loud. Um, it's very fabricated, you know, advertising world yeah. that everything's created in. Um, and it's all glossy and shiny and how do you bring a very authentic um, real brand like Paddy Power into that space and learning from Rodri um, taking a real story, a truth, an actual thing from real life and bringing it into the artificial world of advertising works really well for us. So we had a product, which was daily jackpots in that Paddy Powers jackpots are one every day. And while we were writing that brief, I wrote it with a guy called David Samuel, great guy. And we'd write often my briefs to get briefs together. And it was like, Jesus, Paddy Powers jackpots are a bit shit really. Cause if you win one, you only have like a day of glory and then someone wins one tomorrow. <laughs> so, you know, it's a bit, like, don't think you're special just because you've won one. And the agency came back with that line of don't think you're special. And it came from the era of selfies and social media and Instagram yeah. and everyone thinking they're a little bit special. And, um, yeah, it came from that. So that was the idea that we loved that, you know, with Paddy Power, if you win our jackpots, don't think you're special, really proved the product benefit that they're daily jackpots. Yeah. Um, and then we let, and when I say stars aligning, Jose had just been fired by Real, and um, obviously in our category, we can't use anybody who's currently involved in the game yeah. for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, so when we heard that he'd just been fired by Real, 
we were like, Jesus, do you think he'd do it? And, you know, how long do you think he'll have before he starts his next job? And, you know, will we get time out of him? We're like, we'd probably end up paying millions and then he'll get, he'll yeah, and then, uh, you know, just yeah. get another job and we have to pull the ad. And, um, but anyway, all the stars aligned. And um, luckily for us, Jose had an incentive as well. He felt that the UK media positioned him too seriously and actually he had a sense of humor that they didn't know about and that he was self-deprecating and that he, he you know he could take the piss out of himself and when he read the script he was like I love this you know it's exactly what you know the UK media need to see from me um so I kind of everyone had an invested kind of game to play um and Jose was deadly he was so sound and came and really leaned into the jokes and that's what we look for in Paddy Power yeah um, we look for talent that is prepared to lean into our world rather than us lean into theirs. Um, so by that, I mean, you have to be self-deprecating. You have to be prepared to um, have the piss taken out of yeah. you. Really. Um, I was going to say, be the joke almost in a way. You yeah, know, some, yeah, I kind of do. And like, Paddy's a very self-deprecating brand. It's a very Irish thing to, you know, um, yeah. keep everyone down. <laughs> and so even with, with Peter Crouch, um, like we, the reason why we signed Peter Crouch initially is that we really, really wanted to do a joke about him punching up <laughs> with his wife, yeah. um, and and that was the majority of the reason we really wanted him. Um, and and what was great about Peter, and he's a fantastic guy, fantastic ambassador for us, is that he absolutely leaned into that joke. He knows himself yeah. with his own brand that it's part of who he is, um, and it's part of his own brand story if you like without sounding wanky but yeah yeah. yeah. Um, and so he came on board and he was like yeah I can I can talk about punching up with Abby all day um, so so that's what we did with him so we always look for talent that is you know prepared to come in and lean into our world rather than us leaning into theirs but, and it's fine when you were talking about Jose I was like I, I wonder do we in Ireland have a different view of him because of Mario and Gift Grove I, and I heard yeah. God, let's go back. Well, it was when he was in Chelsea. He actually brought Mario over to do a Jose really? impersonation at Chelsea. And so I've always had in my head that that's kind of who he is. You know what I mean? And this yeah. kind of so I, maybe that's kind of allowed you even go there to think, oh wow, what about what about yeah, Jose? Yeah, yeah. Like we couldn't believe it when he came. Actually, his agent is a really lovely guy from from Plontarf, Actually, oh really? Sound. Um, and he obviously knew the Paddy Prayer brand really well. And thankfully, I think that's what I mean by everything fell into place. You know, we had Matt, who's his agent, who's from the Hoth Road. And he was like, look, the Paddy Power brand is just, you know, uh, iconic. You've got it. And again, I think without him and without his endorsement of the brand, I'm not sure it would have happened. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, it was one of those lucky moments. So that would be my favorite campaign. Uh, and I love that star because there is a bit of, like it's it's luck in a way, right? But it's not luck because even when you were talking about that, you were you said you were sitting in a room with somebody writing the brief together. So like it's like all the strategy work done, obsessing mm. about a brief, and then as it happens, yes, some of the stars do align. Yeah. But it's kind of like it's yeah, there's bits of luck along the way of a really well thought out yeah. process. If you know what I mean, yeah. like it's kind of which. But yeah. that's what I mean. It comes back to you know proper proper brief writing from the client side no one knows the brand better than the client ever yeah. um and if the client can't have a point of view on the brief 
um, it's it's lazy to expect the agency to come up with it, I think. Yeah. Um, so that's why I'm quite passionate about that, that piece. Yeah, I remember we boring over, and, and indeed, um, insights. Because even a word, like one word, yeah. can change things. And so we, you know, can be writing the inside and then come back to it the next day and go, no, no. like at that word, like I've been thinking about this. And that's the thing as well. I think when you're, as you say, the client side, and you have one brand, you can obsess about that brand and you can yeah. just think it over and you should think it over and mm. really obsess about it and go, is that word the right word? Because the wrong word can send the agency off in the wrong, completely wrong direction. And you, like we, well, personally, I labor over the sentences I write. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really think hard about them. Um, and it, it prepares you for the brief with the agency, right? Because the agency, if they ask a question, you've already thought about it. Yeah. You know, you've already thought, no, I actually thought about that. And I, I decided to go the other way because. Um, and I think that's a really constructive conversation because it gives the agency a sense of the direction that you feel it needs to go as 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 the brand. So, yeah, I think that kind of the words, words are important. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah. And. Along the way, like obviously everything doesn't go plain sailing. Any kind of things you think about are, and I think obviously learning from them, but things maybe that didn't go so well, some failings you were like, oof, took a learning from that one. Yeah, but there's loads of them really. <laughs> there's more of them than there is highlights, isn't there? I'll <laughs> um, oh, just, Jesus, Connor, there's loads of them. Um, one that sticks out in my head um, is actually with Betfair. I love uh, like the Betfair brand has such potential, and yes. the, the the challenge I had at the time <clears throat> was that um, in in a growing sector. So this would have been eight year, nine years ago now, um, and online betting was just exploding. And um, the Betfair brand had a challenge and a barrier in that it was perceived to be too geeky or too nuanced and a bit inaccessible, and. Um, it was kind of very niche because of this exchange element that it had. Yeah. And, um, the the strategy from the business to grow in order to grow the business was to become more mass um, and more of a mass market uh, bookie. Um, and the challenge with that is for the mass audience, they just weren't considering the Betfair brand for obvious reasons. And it was the, 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 the really the, the goal for the agency was simple, which was we just need awareness. Um, we just need salience. And how do we achieve that quickly? The World Cup was coming up, or was it the Euros? I can't remember. One of them. Um, and uh, we needed a campaign. And I, I was all, also very aware that we had bought the ITV package um, in between the matches. And we were would have been rubbing shoulders with the Heinegans, the MasterCards. Um, and my fear, like, honestly, used to break me out in cold sweat at nighttime, was, am I going to be going up against the Heinegans and the Nikes? with a really shitty looking bookie ad. Um, and I really, really, uh, that's just would kill me. Yeah, I'm yeah. petrified of that. So I was working with our agency at the time, or WCRS um, in London, and um, they came to me with a great idea. And, and it was very, very simple. How do we get, how do we be disruptive um, and uh, get remembered and create some kind of salience. And that you might remember was the octopus playing um, yep. table tennis. Um, and it worked. It worked fantastically well. But my regret with that and my big mistake with that ad was branding. 
and right. the message behind it. So I got sucked up into the art of it all, I think, um, okay. and the beauty of it all. Um, and I remember uh, I, was, I was driving to Malahide one day and I got a phone call from Damien Devaney. Yeah. After that, after that, um, ad went live, and Damien still puts the fear of God into me when I see his name come <laughs> up on my phone. Oh so my I was God. driving, I went, oh, Damien's calling me, and I didn't even work for him anymore. Um, and I answered, and he, he's, he's so good. You know, he rang to say, listen, that's an amazing ad, but you need to think about the message in it. And I hung up the phone, and I went, he's absolutely right. And at that stage, you know, it was kind of. You know, we enough TV hours underneath it. I think that I'd lost a lot of time with that ad. Um, we did go back and we did fix it, but it kills me. It kills yeah. me to think about it, and it kills me. And, and I kick myself because I'm like, shit, I should have known better. Um, but yeah, yeah, that that's one that stands out as an ad that could that could have been amazing, but wasn't. Yeah, and it's it is easy to get, I guess, caught up in you know, the art and the creative idea. And I think it's mm-hmm. definitely a lesson for everybody. And, and sometimes I think it's not until you go through it and have, have had that, that you realize that, yeah. and, you know, you can read all about it and there's lots of great stuff that we can all read about, you know, the mm-hmm. importance of, of branding and attention and, you know, t- yeah. to build memory structures. But I do think you have to, it has to happen to you. Before yeah, we, yeah, yeah, I think you and have I was, to. Be. I was absolutely burned. And my manager at the time was Mark Odie. Um, and he, I remember him saying to me, um, Emer, should you open on a logo? And I was appalled by this. I'm appalled by it. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm just not doing it. And I refused to do it. And he was right. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I, um, I, uh, I learned a lesson that I look back on that and I kick myself because I think that could have been an absolutely uh, epic ad you did but, stop traffic in the middle I did of London, stop traffic. the giant we octopus did. So. It, we did in Piccadilly yeah that was good crack yeah um I, I'd love to c- talk about kind of the work you admire of others because again I've mm. touched on lots of the amazing work that you've done and um so many great ads by the way so many great ads uh the O2 <laughs> Christmas ad could have been a, an amazing one yeah. uh, and and sorry, t- stuff like that. I think about you know your like your attention to detail and some of those things, like this really small nuanced thing. Again, we weren't really talking about distinctive assets back then, but you no. were. You know, I wasn't on set, but I I heard about you on set of the Christmas ad, making but making sure things were there that were not so bits of blue, right? But not in a and some other people are doing it now where everything's a certain color, right? But, but it, it was more subtle, but there. And I think that, you know, that attention to detail yeah. is something you bring. I Well, I, I was, you know, honestly, the O2 brand, I come back to it again, I was trained really well with that mm. brand. And um, yeah, I, I just remember f- looking at advertising frame by frame, literally frame by frame, ensuring there was um, a sense of blueness. I'm not going to say blue, um, but a feeling that, that it could be, you know, even things like I, I find pre-production meetings um, incredibly important, incredibly stressful, because um, yeah. um, I always feel like it's now or never in those PPMs. Um, but I find them incredibly important to, so the director knows the type of brand you are. So for for the O2 brand, we were we'd always try and open on a wide and feel epic and you know big and 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 um, beautiful and uh, landscape driven and really um 
artful in its creation. Uh, it was very contemporary, um, and, and, and I love that about that brand. And you talk to the director at the PPM and go, no, we need a big wide shot. Um, and the reason why do we need a wide shot? Well, because I want you to be able to pan up to a blue, blue gradient sky, and that would be our end frame. Um, and so we end on, and this is basic stuff, but you have to remember some directors, they might not have worked with big brands like that before, or, you know, they're not as, they're not as in tune with your brand as you, as you are. And that's your role as a client, right? And then like when it comes to a PPM for Paddy Power, it's gas. Like I'm pulling them back, you know, because we're a very low-fi brand by design, and yeah. uh, we don't want to, you know, um, rub alongside Skybet and their glossy Murdoch towers kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, we're very we keep it real. We want to be as low-fi as possible. Like I remember we did save our shirt, which was a a um, a campaign where we unbranded Huddersfield Town's jersey. As oh a yes. Brilliant. And we did an ad for that campaign. And, you know, the, the director, you know, God bless him, he was there going, oh, this is look, going to look really cool. It's going, you know, what we want is the two players. It's going to look like a Nike shirt unveiling. And that instantly with me went, mm, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 that's just not who we are. Um, and I guess it took a long time for the director to get that. And actually where we landed on, which, which you can see in the ad, is you see two players standing there with their with the kits unbranded and they're turning around and it looks quite slick. And then in true Paddy fashion, you know, we pull the rug and the camera pulls out and there's two like blokes turning a turnstile themselves at the bottom, you know, um, you know, very manually done type of thing. So Paddy's always prepared to kind of give you a peek behind the curtain yeah. kind of thing. And that keeping that lo-fi approach is really important. Paddy's also really a daytime brand. We're never nighttime. Yeah, um, true, so actually. I've never noticed that. Yeah, football is a very daytime yeah. thing, especially um, in the Premier League. And we're a very daytime brand. So we never shoot at nighttime. It's just not us. Um, and yeah, like that kind, those kind of rules of engagement for us at Paddy Bear, they're not written anywhere, but they're really important. Um, and yeah. just kind of land that those little bits of you know things that make it paddy you know that lo-fi approach daytime all also situational styles you know we we never want to put our punters sitting on couches watching tv um and a lot of brands do that right yeah, yeah. Um, and we never do that so you know our punters are always out and about or they're walking to the match or they're you know and it's important to position your punter in a, in a very aspirational way in which they see themselves yeah. so so yeah i think little little moments like that all contribute to a brand halo effect i think yeah. they're never written anywhere though that's the problem <laughs> that is the problem yeah <laughs> um so sorry i i digressed on my own question which is pretty genius uh, <laughs> some campaigns that you just love from others and it doesn't have to be even now but like when you think about just ads that you just truly adore um i've always admired ikea um yeah I always admired Ikea, always, always. Um, I love their advertising. I love that I know their ad before I see their ad. Um, and yeah, I just think they're a mother who, who like, I, I, that's an agency I'd love to work with too. Um, they're, they're just really, really brave. And I would love an insight into their, um, into their brand team. Uh, yeah. I really admire them. Um, my favorite ads, I think, look, we could get all agency-like and talk about the ads that agencies talk about. And 
um, you know, the can winners or what have you. But, um, and, and I think that happens all too often. I love ads that my mates talk about. I yeah. love ads that when I go uh, meet my mates, they say, Eimear, why can't you make an ad like that? Um, and for me, that for me is undeniably the Guinness Christmas ad in Ireland. Oh, yeah. It's my favorite. Um, it does make me cry. Um, it resonates so well. And it is a moment in time that I think everyone in this country can sit back and go, it's, it's officially Christmas. Yes. Um, yeah. And the fact that, you know, it's, it is, it's owned by everybody. Um, it's not owned by them. And I have to, you know, applaud Diageo and the, the CMOs in, in Guinness for sticking with that. Um, because, you know, some CEOs can decide it's not mine. It wasn't made here, and therefore we're going to do it again. And and I think um, the fact that it's been rolled in, rolled out year after year is really um, commendable. So yeah, that's my favorite ad of all time. I think it, it is, and it's a one, yeah, it is a beautiful ad. And you're right, it is. It's amazing how something like that has just become part of then the, almost the culture of Christmas now. Because yeah. you hear the music, like the music, everything. You're like. Ah, okay. Yeah, I'm okay now. Like I can. Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay. Can, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no. I love it. I, I really love it, and I look forward to it. Um. So, so that ad would be uh, it, it definitely my favorite ad. But I do remember ads from when I was a kid, Connor, that have always stuck with me. And I think it's because re- I have always, as I said, I've always loved watching ads on on the telly as a kid and the ad that I always come back to as one I enjoyed watching as a kid and for all the wrong reasons probably was do you remember the Hamlet cigar ads ah yeah I loved those ads like and maybe it's because they were so simple in their execution and each one was you know repetitive but I loved watching them and, and I think about ads like that um, very simple in their execution. They're very similar to, you know, Snickers, Hungry Why Wait or, um, you know, Kit Kats Take a Break. Like that sense of really simple executions that um, are repeatable and sequential. I, I really enjoy and, and I admire from a distance. Yeah. And I th- yeah, I think and those like that are, I've talked about this before with consistency, but fresh consistency I love. Yeah. Um I, the Hamlet had the guy in the photo booth with the hair, like the comb over. And just, just the music. Yeah. It's like, and, and even now, like, when I have that Hamlet moment where, like, shit's just hit the fan, I can hear that music go <laughs> ding, 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 ding. And you have a little laugh to yourself, don't you? Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I think um, a sense of humour in advertising is really important. And, and um, that Hamlet ad, for some reason, has always stuck with me. Yeah, that's a brilliant example. And I sense you hear me, we've talked about it a lot, but I think it's really important. People talk about emotion, emotional advertising and the importance of emotion. And I, you know, it often ends up being emotion. Oh, we need people to, you know, tug at the heartstrings. It's the feels, right? And I, you know, it's like, oh God, more piano music. Here we go. <laughs> and, you know, but it's lovely to see, you know, a, a brand that's able to have, and sorry, even though too, while it wasn't humor, it looked for different emotions, I think, as well. Like Florence and the Machine was, you know, about joy and, you know, yeah. coming together and, um, you know, Play Them Next was about, again, mm. probably, well. Participation. Particip- yeah. yeah, so wonderful, um, you know, but it's great to, to get to speak to you and someone who's working in a brand that actually humour is important as an emotion. So I'm, It I'm is, a, yeah, it's important, but it's a, 
it's hard work and um, yes. very, very hard work and costs a lot of money and costs a lot of time. Um, so, and I would never, um, I've never sell short how difficult it is to have a funny brand. It's very hard. Um, we are nearly at time and I'd love to get, you've given some great tips and advice, but I'd love if you had any kind of tips for somebody listening who I kind of, I, I was going to say is starting in marketing, but actually even me who's in marketing, what advice and tips would you have about, you know, when thinking about, I guess, building a great brand or, or just good career advice even? I think there's an awful lot of showboating in our industry. Um, and it's, I work best with people who are well-grounded and have a sense of humor. Um, and look, we're not heart surgeons. We're not pediatric nurses. If we can't laugh at what we're doing, creating, you know, commercial art the way we do, um, what can we laugh at? And I think it's important um, in establishing relationships. The best work that I've done came from really great synergy between and a rapport between the brand team themselves, like my time in O2, for example, we just had an amazing team led by Paul and Johnny. And um, we just had a, a, you know, a great vibe. And yeah. I think if you can create a great vibe in your office and make people really want to come to work, you get the best out of them um, and not take it too seriously. And sure, everyone enjoys their job. Um, for me, that's really, really important. I've left a job because I previously, because I just, didn't enjoy the work um, and I'm glad I did because you know it's it you need to get to a place where you get on with your colleagues so much so that you can challenge them creatively um, when it comes to critiquing yeah. some ideas um, and not feel like you are um, being dictated to so I think an open democratic you know fair place to work is incredibly important in our industry um, and and the particular field that we work in and um, so I always try and make sure that everyone feels like they can talk and um, no matter how junior you are whatever yeah. your work experience come to the briefing if you've something to say please say it um, and I think uh, I was lucky um, throughout my career. I had managers that enabled me and empowered me to do that. So I'll always try and do that. So that for me, having a sense of humor and being all around sound is really important. I think you take that box, Connor. Ah. <laughs> um, and in terms of, you know, advice for young people, I mean, I, I started, you know, to um, as work experience, like as in, it was unpaid. I just wanted to get my foot in the door. I really feel um, that if you want to do something, ask, be prepared to go in and just take the experience for what it is and impress people with your ability to be agile and yeah. um, pick up things and give give feedback and be prepared to lean into things that might make you a little bit comfortable, uncomfortable, but um, ultimately impress others and and that's how I got in the door right and it's difficult especially getting in on client side is very hard yeah. there's not a lot of the, a lot of roles like like um, brand director roles especially in Ireland right yeah. um, so you know I would definitely you know put your hand up um, and ask um, so yeah yeah I did something this morning I thought like I'll, I'll get the quote wrong but 100% of the things you didn't ask to do you'll never succeed in or something like that, you know, so unless you ask. Yeah, and, exactly. But that's and, it, isn't yeah. it? Um, and it is. And I remember um, as well, my 
move from retail in O2 to um, above the line campaigns was because I put my hand up um, and because I asked and because I had proven myself elsewhere um, to say, you know, it's something I really want to get involved in. I think I'm going to sound a little bit bitchy now, but what I see a sense of, and it's a growing sense of currently um, within our discipline is a sense of sort of entitlement around, mm-hmm. okay, I've done that now. So um, what's next for me? For me yeah. And um, I, I sense that it's growing um, and it's really disheartening actually. And um, because, you know, where you work isn't, the University of Paddy Power or the University of O2. We're not there to educate you. You're there to make the most of it yourself. And yeah, you have to own it. Put the hours in and own it. And um, but it's not that the kind of sense of entitlement is is definitely something that bothers me. Um, and I much prefer it when people just put their, you know, shoulders to the wheel, get work done, um, and prove themselves rather than you know just asking for their next step up i know yeah yeah and doing that I, but even i've had people on my team say you know i'm not asking for this but i'm just letting you know what i'm interested in is yeah. to be in that position and I'm like, yeah now yeah. i know now I, or now i know, you know exactly i'd yeah. be interested in moving to a different mm-hmm. country okay great that now i you know yeah. now i can plan around that as opposed to yeah. you're perfectly happy doing this job yes. forever right i can't you know i don't know that or yeah. you know so exactly. Um, it's quite. Our, I think what we do is quite ambitious, and that everyone kind of, and that's what I mean. We were talking earlier around um, knowing what makes you happy, and I'm very, very blessed because I know the level I'm at right now is where it makes me happy. I don't yeah. want. We said this earlier, but I don't want a CMO role. Um, I would die. Um, it's just not for me, um, and I know that here's where I'm. I'm happiest. Um, and here's where you'll get the best out of me. And um, and I think in our industry, um, there it is a little bit of if I don't get to CMO, I failed. Yeah. Um, and I I think that's really unfair because the discipline that you learn as within um, advertising and campaign planning and management is lost when you go up to CMO yes. level. Um. So so yeah, like that. Just just garnering all of these experiences um shouldn't mean um that you're entitled to go elsewhere so and i love that but i love that it's an incredible probably way to even end is that you know you absolutely adore what you do it's so you know it's so clear and you're you're saying that is that's me that is my space i am brilliant at this now you don't say that i'm saying that for you but you're brilliant <laughs> at <I> this <laughs> brilliant at it you can do great things and let me do that and and I will do great things yeah. for, for yeah, the Yeah, and, and, and I think it's, I love to see that from other people as well to go, you know, actually CMO is where I want to be or, yeah, yeah. you know, and that's brilliant too. Um, but I think you need to know what makes you happy and um, where I'm at right now gives me a lovely uh, balance of, you know, empowering and also creative. Um, I'm empowered to make decisions, but I'm close enough to, um, the creative to influence it. So, yeah, very, very lucky for him. Emer, thank you so much. Great to chat to you today. Really appreciate it. Thanks. As you can tell, Emer loves what she does and has a really clear vision of where she wants to be and the areas she wants to work on. I love that focus. As a result, you can hear how Emer just talks about her marketing beliefs with such ease. It comes so naturally to her. 
but it's because she invests time in it. I love the emphasis Emer places on the brief and the attention to detail she puts into every element of what she does, from ensuring that the strategy is on point right down to the pre-production meeting. Emer is without doubt one of the best brand marketers around. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to That's What I Call Marketing. If you did enjoy it, please do share and add comments with your feedback. For me, Connor Byrne, until the next episode, take care. Just as a footnote to this episode, since we recorded, Emer has taken on a new role heading up brand for the brilliant Irish tech unicorn, Wayflower.